Well, I hope you're able to have a great Christmas despite the uh, circumstances. I hope that you were able to either uh, come and experience one of our services at Christmas Eve here at Woodlands Church or watch online. It's an awesome service. And now here we are on the cusp of a new year. And if you're like me, you're thrilled that 2020 is about to become just a bad memory. But what kind of a year will 2021 be? What kind of a year are we going to have? And how can we make sure that Christmas continues into January and beyond? In other words, how can we carry Jesus with us into the year 2021? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to start with kind of an unexpected, at an unexpected place. And that's by talking about names. Names, you know, names, of course, are important to people, but there are even times in Scripture when we see that names are important to God. For instance, in the first book of the Bible, it talks about a man by the name of Abram. And at one point in Genesis 17, verse 5, God says, in effect, to Abram, he says, you know what, that name's no longer going to do. Abram means a father of one family, one tribe, one clan but I'm going to rename you Abraham, which means father of a multitude of nations. And centuries later, God fulfilled that promise at Christmas when Jesus was born through the line of Abraham. And through Jesus, the entire world, a multitude of nations has been blessed. Now, the name Jesus, of course, has important meaning as well. If you looked up the name Jesus in a first century baby book, you'd find that it means God saves. And of course, that's appropriate for a name for the Savior of the world. But today, I want to emphasize two other aspects of his name. The first is an observation by a friend of mine, Max Licato. He's a best-selling author, and he was talking about how absolutely ordinary the name Jesus was in the first century. It was an ordinary name. There were at least five high priests by the name of Jesus. The historian Josephus talks about at least 20 people with the same name. In fact, Jesus was the sixth most popular boy's name in that era, in that area among Jews. It would be like naming Jesus Sam or Pete or Nick. Why is that important? Well, Locato says that God could have named Jesus something like Reverend Holiness Angelic Divinity III, and everybody would have been so intimidated by somebody by that name. But instead, God gave him a common name, common name of Jesus, and the very ordinariness of his name suggests his approachability, his approachability. As Locato said, he was the kind of fellow you'd invite over to watch the football game at your house. He'd wrestle on the floor with your kids. He'd doze on your couch. He'd cook steaks on your grill. He'd laugh at your jokes, and he'd tell a few of his own. And when when you spoke, he'd listen to you as if he had all the time in eternity. And one thing's for sure, you'd invite him back. As Cato emphasized, nobody was ever reluctant to approach Jesus for fear of being rejected. But there's another name for Jesus that was predicted 700 years before he was born in Bethlehem. And it was repeated by the angel who said to Joseph in Matthew 1, verse 23, he said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Now, Emmanuel was not Jesus' middle name. It was a descriptive name because he is God with us. And so while the ordinariness of his name suggests his approachability, the name Emmanuel suggests his proximity or his closeness to us. And here's my point. As great of a miracle as Christmas is, and it is the greatest miracle. I mean, we have the greatest example of dour mobility in history when Jesus leaves the, the majesty of heaven for the straw of a manger, this, this great miracle of heaven, as great as that is, there's also a continuing miracle of Christmas. And it's this. Jesus is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. He still has proximity, and he still has approachability. In fact, the last words that Jesus spoke before ascending into heaven, as recorded in Matthew 28, verse 20, were these words. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This was brought home to me when I was a, a new Christian, and I, I was visiting a church, and uh, the pastor get up, got up, and he was talking, and at one point during his talk, he said, you know, just imagine, just, just stop for a moment, and just imagine what it would be like if all of a sudden the back door of the auditorium opened up and Jesus physically walked into this room. And of course, all the heads would turn to, 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 to see Jesus walking into this room. And what if he scanned the crowd and he saw your face and he walked up to you and stood right in front of you? What's the very first thing you would say to Jesus. What's the first thing you'd say? Yeah, I thought, wow, what, what would I say? If Jesus came right up to me, like, what would I say? I, I'd, I'd say I love him. I'd say I love you. I'd say thank you for going to the cross to pay the penalty I deserve for the sins that I've committed. I thank you. I worship you. I've, I express my gratitude to you. What would you say to him? And then the pastor said, well, here's the deal. Jesus is here. So whatever you want to tell him, tell him. He's listening. And of course, that's true. Of course, that's true. He is here. He is present. He is aware. He is listening. He is watching. The spirit of Jesus is with you in your home, at your workplace, in traffic. And as basic as that teaching is, it often slips our mind. We don't actually live most of our lives in light of the realization that Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, is actually present with us in each moment. We just don't live that way, and yet it's true. And today I want to focus on that truth by talking about three implications of the fact that God is not some distant and detached and disinterested deity, but he is Emmanuel. He is God with us, and he will walk with us right in to the new year. So what are those three implications? The first implication is this. Every time we stumble, God knows it, and that's sobering. Every time we stumble morally or we stumble ethically, God knows it, and that ought to be sobering. I was reminded of this a few, few Christmases ago. Somebody gave me a book. It was called America's Least Competent Criminals. <laughs> it's a hilarious book. True stories about criminals who've done really, really dumb things. 
And uh, one was about a little story about a 25-year-old guy in Rhode Island. And uh, the police arrested him as being a suspect in a string of vending machine break-ins. But they didn't have a very good case against him, but they had enough to charge him. So they arrested him, they brought him before a judge, and the judge set his bond at $400. And with that, the guy opened his knapsack and poured out $400 in quarters. <laughs> now, suddenly their case against him got a lot stronger at that very moment. And you read story after story like this about these, these ter- terribly incompetent criminals. And you think somebody has to be really dumb to be a thief. Eventually, you're going to get caught. So you got to be dumb to be a thief. But then it hit me. Wait a minute. How often do I, how often do you fool ourselves into thinking we're getting away with something when we're really not? We're like Moses who was going to murder an Egyptian soldier. So Exodus 2, verse 12 says, Looking this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. In other words, he looked this way and he looked that way. He thought he was getting away with it, but guess what? He didn't look up. He didn't look up. God is with him. God is present. God is aware. Every time we stumble morally or ethically, God knows it. But we often do what Moses did. We think we're getting away with something. You know, we tell a lie and we think, well, nobody's going to really find out. Nobody's going to know the difference. Or we visit an X-rated website and we think, well, I think I've covered my digital footprints good enough. Nobody will ever know. Or you break a promise to your spouse and you think, well, I covered my tracks pretty well. She'll never find out. Or we spread a little slander about someone. We think, well, nobody will be able to trace it back to me. But friends, ultimately, we don't get away with anything. Every time we stumble, even if others don't catch us, even if we think we pulled it off, even if we've carefully covered our tracks, God knows it. God knows it. Hebrews 4, 13, listen to this, says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, we may know that's true in our heads, but really sobering is when we think about really living in light of that reality. Just think of how many times just last week you stumbled a little bit and you thought you got away with something, but you really haven't. And so what should we do? What should we do? Oh, Jesus would offer a two-word prescription. Fess up. Fess up. Just be honest enough with God to come clean. Because here's the deal. The longer we wait to fess up, the more strain it puts on our relationship with God. How do we know? Because we see this in human relationships. I'll give you an example. Imagine you're a parent and you have a teenage son. And you tell your son very explicitly, you cannot go to this party being held at a kid's house this Friday night. You you cannot go to that, but you're forbidden to go to that party. And so Friday night comes, you find out he went to that party. But he doesn't know that you know. He thinks he got away with it. But you know that he went to the party. And so he comes home late that night, and you ask him, so where you been? And he says, um, a bunch of guys and I went bowling. Yeah, yeah, we went bowling. Yeah. Really? How'd you do? 
well, pretty good, better than average. Yeah, I, I did pretty well. Well, you were sure gone a long time just to be bowling. Well, yeah, but you know, we had to wait a long time for a lane, and uh, that kind of hung us up. And that goes back and forth like that, and this cover-up just keeps building, and it adds to the tension, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it, in the end, you're probably more upset about his refusal to fess up than you would be about his original wrongdoing of going to the party. Don't you just wish he'd respect you enough to say, wait, wait a minute, Mom, Dad, I, got, I hate to admit this, but the truth is I went to that party you told me not to go to. I knew it was wrong, I did it anyway, and I'm sorry. Isn't that what you want? But our refusal to fess up to what God already knows we've done puts a strain on our relationship with him. Yet listen to Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Friends, when we stumble, God just wants us to be honest enough to say, I know you know that I've done something wrong. And I just want to be honest and straightforward with you and just say it. I did it, and I'm sorry. No excuses, no rationalizations, no pretending. And thanks, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace, even to the likes of me. So friends, whenever we stumble, God knows it. And wouldn't it be great if we just all resolved as we're coming into 2020, that in 2020, when we inevitably do things we know we shouldn't do, and we do them anyway, whenever we do that, we stop and we fess up to God. Because guess what? There's always compassion, there's always forgiveness, and there's always cleansing when we do. So the second, what's the second implication of God being ever-present with us in 2021? The second implication is this. Every time we struggle, God feels it, and that's encouraging. Every time we struggle, God feels it, and that's encouraging. You see, God, Jesus is not just God with us, um, in that he has proximity to us, but he's also with us in the sense of actually having become one of, us, uh, one of us on Christmas Day. He is fully God who also became fully man. And in that sense, we were sort of knit together by this common experience of living on this planet together. That's what Christmas is about. And because Jesus walked the earth, because he experienced life as we experience life, we can be confident that even today, he has special sensitivity and empathy with us when we bring him our struggles and our wounds and our pain. For instance, are you feeling rejected? Well, Jesus can relate to that. He was spit upon and he was mocked. Are you feeling betrayed? Well, Jesus can relate to that because at his time of greatest need, his followers abandoned him. Are you mourning a loss? Well, Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Are you tied in knots by anxiety? Well, Jesus literally sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane anticipating his crucifixion. Have you been tempted? Well, Jesus was tempted too. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
But then listen to the next verse. Verse 16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what a woman did who sent me a Christmas card a few seasons ago. And she wrote a note on that card and told me about how her husband of 30 years one day just walked out on her and her, their four kids. He's gone, just walked out. And she said, of course, it was, a, it was a devastating experience to all of us. But then she wrote this. She said, but do you know what saved me? My husband walked out, but Jesus walked in. She found that he's a God who understands her pain and frustration and emotions because he lived as one of us. And she leaned on him, and she leaned on his church. And in the end, she wrote, she said the words, they have proven faithful. And so what should we do? You know, the human tendency is to cover up our pain or refuse to acknowledge it or medicate it with too much alcohol or too much food or too much sleep, or we withdraw and we bury ourselves at work. But I think Jesus would give us instead a simple two-word prescription. Open up. Open up. I think he'd say, draw near to me with confidence that you may find grace in your time of need. And I think he would say, Draw near to those who are my followers because they're the ones I like to use to help heal people of their wounds. I don't know if you've ever been in a small group here at the church, you know, a group of guys or gals that get together on a regular basis to talk about life and talk about faith and talk about God. And I remember when I was a new Christian, the first small group I ever was part of was a group of half a dozen guys. And we'd get together every Saturday morning, early morning at a restaurant, you know, and we'd order breakfast, and we'd go around the table, we'd talk about our lives. And if you would ask us at the time, do you kind of go deep with each other? Oh, yeah, we got baloney. We, we didn't go deep. You know, it's like, hey, what's new in your life? Uh, you know, I played golf last week. Really, how'd you do? You know, I shot a 78. Can you believe that? It's awesome. 78, wow. And we'd talk about that. What about you? What, you know, I went to the ball game. What a great game. Oh, I saw that on TV. And it was just surface level stuff. Until one Saturday morning, we're at this restaurant and going around the table and everybody's giving their surface level stuff. And then the guy next to me comes to him and say, what about you? How's your week? And he just burst into tears. And he said, guys, my marriage is falling apart and I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, we were going deep. I mean, because he took a risk by opening up to fellow followers of Jesus, because he took that risk, we were able to minister to him. If he hadn't done that, we couldn't have done that. But because he opened up, we were able to pray with him and encourage him and problem solve with him and, 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 and help him walk through this trauma that he was going through in his relationship with his spouse because he was willing to open up. Until we do that, nobody knows what you're walking around with. We look around a room like this, we don't know who's lost their job, whose spouse has walked out, whose child is sick. We don't know. We don't know until you open up. And I think God would say, open up to my people. They're the tools I use. They're the vehicles I use to bring healing and hope and encouragement and prayer and problem solving into your life. 
Every time you struggle, every time you struggle, God feels it. And that should be encouraging. 1 Peter 5, verse 7 says, Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. And one of the ways he cares for you is to put you in a place like this, a place where you can be part of a little group of followers of Jesus and do life together and open up to each other about the real pain, difficulty, struggles that we face in life. And when you do that, what you find is God's plan of using his church as a mechanism for healing, it's a plan that works. It's one of the main reasons the church is here, for you to be part of it, for you to be served by it, for you to be encouraged by it. God feels it when you struggle, and he uses his people to bring healing. Finally, what's the third implication of this continuing miracle of God's presence? I think it's this. Every time we sacrifice, God honors it. Every time we sacrifice for him, God honors it. And that ought to be motivating. That ought to be motivating. In other words, whenever it costs you something to follow Jesus Christ, he knows about it and he will pay you back. Every time you jeopardize your reputation at work uh, or you jeopardize your career by standing up for your faith, Every time you sacrifice short-term pleasure in order to obey God by resisting the temptation to stray sexually. Every time you swallow your pride and forgive an enemy instead of plotting retribution. Every time you're in a hurry, but you pause to commit an act of kindness. Every time you'd rather indulge yourself, but instead you invest in the business of ministry. Every time you'd rather relax on a weekend, but instead you get elbow deep in the life of a hurting person. Every time you could be making big bucks by working overtime, but instead you choose to take that time and to serve the needy and the hurting through a ministry of some sort. Every time you make those kind of sacrifices and you think that nobody notices, it's outside the spotlight. Nobody, guess what? God notices. God knows every time you sacrifice for him. And he will reward you not only with a sense of fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in this world, but he will reward you in eternity as well. Proverbs 11, verse 18 says, the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. And I think that maybe Jesus would give a three-word prescription to the faithful people of Woodlands Church who serve and give and pray and help people in the trenches of life I think Jesus would say, people of Woodlands Church, keep it up. Keep it up. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I mean, just imagine Jesus looking over your shoulder and cheering you on and just saying, you just wait. You just wait until the day comes when I settle accounts. You just wait. Great will your reward be in heaven? And that's what I'd like to say to all my friends here at Woodlands Church. You know, we've, we've gone through since March an incredible time of suffering and sorrow in this community. And what has this church done? This church has rallied. This church has served. This church has given. This church has provided. This church has served meals and, and helped people in, 
thousands of different ways, thousands of different ways. And I think, you know, I would just echo what Jesus would say, just say, keep it up. Keep it up. There's a great church with great leaders, a great congregation. And God in 2021 is going to continue to do great things through this church. So keep your eyes on Christ as he keeps his eyes on you. Remember this continuing miracle of Christmas, that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And let, as we go into 2021, let your decisions and your behavior and your attitudes and your habits and your actions, let it all be colored by three realities. First, every time you stumble, God sees it. So fess up. And every time you struggle, God feels it. So open up. And every time you sacrifice for him, God honors it. So keep it up. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are not some distant, detached, and disinterested deity, but you are actively involved in our life and in our world. Help us to live in this coming year with that reality at the forefront of our mind, to serve others in your name, to come to you and admit the obvious when we've messed up so that our lines of communication and so forth can be clear. Help us when we struggle to open up. I know it's hard, but sometimes we just need to say it. I'm hurting. I got problems. I got difficulties. Help us to open up so that we can feel your love expressed through your people. And Father, I pray we would keep it up, this church in 21 and beyond, serving this community, being a light on a hill that shines your message of hope and grace and love and forgiveness and eternal life far and wide. Thank you for the privilege of being part of this ministry that you've created here. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how in very practical ways can we access the power of God for our lives in 2021. So I'll see you next week. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.